I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured in Celluloid. On this particular episode, we are going to talk about Pixar's Soul, recently released, released Christmas Day, I believe, worldwide, um, on Disney+. And we are going to more generally also talk about the career of one of its co-directors, Pete Docter. And in talking about Pete Docter now, we will end up talking about not just what he's done to this point, but what he may end up doing, what it all means for Pixar, because not only is he one of their most successful and well-known directors, but he is now also the chief creative officer of Pixar. So we have a lot to get into there. Andrew, how are you? I'm well. Dry January is over. Uh, Super Bowl weekend is upon us, and Liverpool bought two center backs. Or one as of this recording, maybe a second. No, two. They they did the second just before we started. Perfect. So I'm great, Adam. Uh, I'm very zen right now. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And even if you weren't, I think Pete Doctor's movies would be a pretty good remedy for that and lots of other things that are going on in the world, have been going on in the world for over a year now. Would that seem fair? Yeah, they're much like one of his films. I think they... They send us through the entire gamut of emotions, which ends up being a uh, a very a, a very much a healing process. Like Jimmy V s- said, "Laugh, think, and cry." That's a full day. So that's that's what that's what Pete Doctor's films will do to you and Pixar in general, but in particular his films, especially for two people uh, of a certain age that we are, Adam. Yeah, and that's that's something that I guess we'll definitely uh, work our way through in this, which is. We are exactly in the sweet spot of people who got hooked in early by Pixar and so continue to be hooked. Like, I, I'm not entirely sure what kids in... Well, I mean, it's probably another question of what young kids today's relationship is to movies anyway. Um, but more specifically, what the relationship is to Pixar, particularly with the kind of movies that Pixar seem to make, particularly an often driven by Pete Doctor a lot of the things they're interested in may not necessarily be as readily accessible, uh, but much more, let's say, nourishing than something like Trolls World Tour, right? Um, something that's just loud and very bright and isn't really doing a whole lot other than, you know, giving parents opportunity to just completely turn their mind off and bring the child somewhere for some entertainment for, you know, 90 minutes, two hours. Like, that's... That's something that I guess we'll get into, and I think the age of whoever's talking about Pixar often factors into that, particularly because Pixar represents something that's not entirely you know, universal of where entertainment was going generally throughout our lifetimes, and yet they are there, and they continue to make a lot of what they did in the first place. And Pete Doctor is really essential to that. Um, he was born in Minnesota, he went to CalArts, um, and much like you know most of the key figures and voices throughout Pixar's history, um, he went for Kyle Arts and joined very early on, um, worked alongside the likes of John Lasseter in shaping Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, like right from the very beginnings of Pixar as a feature film company. Um, he has story credits on Toy Story, Toy Story 2, 
uh, Wally again, I think as well later. So even when it hasn't necessarily been films he's directed, the original kind of genesis of those projects has been kind of closely tied to him. So he's been very much kind of hands-on involved in, I guess, some of the most iconic animated films of our lifetime, certainly, but of, I guess, kind of the last... 50 60 years like in terms of post disney heyday um you have studio ghibli in there too in the later period but other than that i think a lot of the films animated films that will jump out for people immediately come to their mind when they think of what are some of the great or what are some of their favorite animated films will come from the core of a lot of what Pixar have done since they really first made a splash in 1995. Would that be, would that be true for you? I'd say so. I mean, when I think about animated films, I think about Pixar first. And that's like I said earlier, probably just because of how old I am. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I think one of the, the first movies along with, the Star Wars re-release that I that I mentioned during our origin story podcast, which is now over a year ago, Adam. Time is really flying on Captured on Celluloid. It was probably a bug's life. And then I remember um, being very young, seeing Toy Story on, on a VHS that my parents showed me. And, um, and that became like a, a, a rewatchable you know uh as as bill simmons would call it that's something that who do you work for andrew what's this uh yeah it became like a you know something my parents could put on in the background at any point like uh it's a a winnie the pooh tape or 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 toy stories on uh and i i guess it was it wasn't apparent to me at the time that the reason they were drawn more towards that because it was a movie that they could jo- could enjoy as well. And I think one that my mom in particular still enjoys to this day. Um, as we were do- going through this process, I think probably a couple months ago when we were scoping out that we wanted to have a Pete doctor episode is really when it became apparent to me that he is Pixar to, <laughs> to a very large extent. I don't think that, I mean, I knew that probably for me, his most uh or the the films that he was the director on are probably would make up any kind of top 10 of favorites of my pixar movies would include his films but i don't think i had mm-hmm. i don't think i had that that knowledge that he was so hands-on with literally everything i mean like you said, from the Toy Story early films um, to A Bug's Life, even even if he wasn't a director or wasn't given a writing credit, he was involved somehow in the production with the, with almost all of these. If you go through the Wikipedia page, so Pete Doctor is Pixar, and I mean, is largely responsible for this sort of elevated form of animated um, animated films, and so. I mean, going going back through this process, I, I was only able to fully rewatch one of the films, but I saw Soul recently, and then you know did some uh, <laughs> reintroducing myself to Up and and Monsters Inc. And what's so funny is that you know you, his first film in two thousand one, Monsters Inc. I saw in theaters when I was nine years old, and mm-hmm. that was something I really enjoyed at the time. You know, for the same reasons that any kid enjoys a kid's movie. And then here I am nearly 20 years later, really being drawn to the following three films. And it's, it's funny how these films kind of just meet 
you at a point in your life when you age <laughs> through this curve going from age nine to age 29. It's funny how it's, you just like age into the type of topics that are being covered in each film. And it, it's, it's something that has probably made his films resonate with me even more so than, than maybe someone that was a parent watching Monsters Inc. with their kid 20 years ago and is now watching Soul. So it's, it's very interesting how his career and just the rise of Pixar has culminated with you know, my entire life as a moviegoer. Yeah, I I wonder, it's it's definitely possible that Toy Story could have been like the second or third movie that I saw in theaters. Um, I've seen, I haven't seen every Pixar movie in theaters, um, mostly because they've released a couple during the pandemic um, on Disney Plus, so I haven't seen those. But I've seen pretty much all of the others. Um, maybe one or two of the Cars movies I missed in theaters. I don't think I saw Brave in theaters. I think I saw everything else, though. And like you, I can kind of map out what age I was going through that journey. And I mean, I think that was very much something that was at play and really working Um, well, for Toy Story 3, because that film was made and the whole arc of that story was made with the knowledge that the kids who went to see Toy Story 3 in the theaters were now, you know, 15 years older. They were either about to go off to college or they were, in fact, already in college. Uh, I actually, like Toy Story 3, I think I remember, was probably my final year of high school and there's a group of us went to see it in the theater and there, there just wouldn't have been another animated movie that, that would have happened in, but it was this shared thing of, well, everyone saw it when they were a kid. It was one of the the first and most important movies i guess to them in their childhood so everyone wanted to see it and then even going back further like you mentioned a bug's life for you was one of the first things you saw in theaters i remember being a kid i got my tonsils taken out and i was in hospital and i very vividly remember after i came back from from surgery and still a little out of it after anesthetic or whatever um i was given this bug's life toy of some sort that i wanted it was like the giant grasshopper thing and it opened up and it did all sorts of stuff but i remember wanting and i remember getting it and i was like oh this is fine you know i don't mind having this surgery now because i've got my bug's life toy so i we are really like you and i are in the sweet spot to just be won over by a lot of this and yet in spite of that i have been I've been impressed with the way that Pixar has evolved over the years, and I still kind of get caught off guard with some of the movies they make when I sit down and I actually watch them. And that applies for things when I discovered them for the first time, but it also even applies for rewatches. Um, something like Monsters, Inc., which I've always loved, and again, same age as you were when you saw it as a kid. Like, I loved it, but in my head I was thinking, it's really, it's kind of lesser. It doesn't have as much going on as some of the later Pixar movies and certainly the rest of Pete Doctor's Pixar filmography. And I rewatched it and I was like, that's not actually quite true. And you can see some of the, the interesting things at work in terms of perspective um, that Pete Doctor always focuses on is always fascinated on his work where they're at play from the beginning. And even when you look at the kind of movies that Pixar made before that, the kind of movies they made after that, like, once Pete Doctor starts directing, you see real departures from what the rest of their films were. 
because as much as Toy Story is about talking toys and a bug's life is it's talking bugs and you're you're kind of in the bugs world in that way. Monsters Inc. was the first Pixar movie to really break from some loose vision of reality, something that a kid could just see right in front of them in their bedroom or out their window. And that's kind of interesting because that's a marker of what Pete Doctor's Pixar movies have been, is they're always reaching for something that is... Um, I guess requires a lot more imagination, but then is also frequently more abstract too. And that, that certainly makes them some of the more interesting. I think it has also driven some of the more creative kind of decisions and ideas throughout the company. Like he does have an original story credit on Wally, which was another that was just a complete game changer for what a Pixar movie can be. And when you look at Wally, without that, you possibly don't get something like Inside Out. I don't think you get in uh, Doctor's own movie and up. I don't think you get that opening 15 minutes married life sequence that we'll probably touch on later without some of the work with the kind of classic movie and the songs that were there in Wally and the ideas of romance that were played in Wally in a movie that's just packed with ideas. So you can see what he introduced and what other filmmakers carried on, what he added himself, and then what, as he's gone on, he's fully fleshed out. And it is, it's really kind of, it's fascinating to think of, well, what is Pixar's direction from here? Like we're, what's it now? Probably a couple of years since John Lasseter's departure after the allegations that came against him. Lasseter, for many people, was the face and the voice of Pixar. That in its own right is interesting because, sure, he directed Toy Story, he directed Toy Story 2, uh, but I, I think people with university agreed a lot of the best movies to come from Pixar weren't being directed by Lasseter to begin with. They were the likes of Pete Docter, Andrew Stanton, Brad Bird too. So there was always something else in Pixar and now Doctor is the voice. Now Doctor is the face. Um, Not likely to be quite as visible or quite as loud, but what it will mean behind the scenes is something that is really going to be interesting to watch play out because is it going to lead to more Pete Doctor-esque ideas being enabled? Um, Something that certainly seems to be at work at the moment is that Pixar under Doctor are making a really meaningful kind of effort to diversify and to give opportunities to directors of different race and religion, ethnicity, different social backgrounds to just get different perspectives on screen, which is something again, that I just think is kind of essential. And they may have learned that lesson for themselves with the success of Coco moving away from just the traditional, you know, white and American kind of background to their storytelling and filtering other stories through the kind of Pixar prison through the Pixar lens is just how it should be i think that's the way the logical way that they can kind of expand what they're doing and also just kind of continue to invent continue to make interesting stories and stories that um, connect to and resonate with more and more people and when you look at their slate and you look at some of the stuff that's been that's in development some of the things that have more recently come out you can see the kind of signs of that already 
And Soul is certainly a part of that. Pete Doctor is the most notable name on it, but it was also co-directed by Kemp Powers, who has clearly been responsible for a lot of the jazz elements uh, based on interviews that he's given right around the release of the movie. Um, so there's there's a lot there that I think is just it is as you said when you look at Pixar I don't know how much everyone realizes or thinks about it as well Pete Doctor is Pixar like you put it but he pretty much is that now with his role he is calling the shots but he, he has been Pixar in terms of the spirit of his movies for quite some time I think that's that's something that's certainly interesting do you have do you have a favorite Pete Doctor? Uh I did an intense mental struggle um when trying to determine this. I I I, I have a, a way to break it down. I do it. I think the the first 15 minutes of up are my mm-hmm. my favorite thing that he's done. But they're the best thing the Pixar's done. Yeah, for sure. And I think, as an overall film tying it all together, I I think it's Inside Out by a hair for me. Um, that's that's another one. I feel I feel like it it covers similar emotional ground that Up covers, just in a different way and in a pretty unique way. Um, and then it kind of ties together that action adventure elements that make up the second half of the film um so fun but i I think it's just a more cohesive story but like but yeah the first 15 minutes of up is i mean i don't know how many times i've seen it to this point even if it's just that that particular sequence as we get carl and ellie's uh love story played out it it impacts me emotionally every time um i mean and the first time i saw it i probably was not in a position in my life to where it should have affected me the way it did. And it, and it still did. It's just, it's just incredibly impactful. And, but honestly, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of inside out and soul in particular, like caught me at periods in my life where I was able to fully understand that the emotional work that was at play in both of them. So I, I'm a big fan of, of everything down the line. And I think it, it's splitting hairs for me to say that, that inside out is better than than up or solar or even monsters inc um but it, it just edges it out we have to make uh choices sometimes in life adam so despite um some of the the think pieces on soul that have come out lately that have kind of uh had issues with it i think that er- everything's separated by very slim margins here yeah i, I agree with everything literally everything you've said there which is not great for podcasting but it is it is how i feel <laughs> so i will i won't fake some some different reaction to it i think his best movie is inside out my favorite could be up but there are certainly strands of up that don't work very well or to take away from the overall impact but it, it maybe just has the moments that have the highest kind of peaks um obviously the opening 15 minutes as i said i think it's it's the best of what pixar has done it's just some of the best visual storytelling um of you know the pixar era take it outside of the company i don't think something has been distilled quite as well as 
um, life was into that sequence. And I think that's also, that's worth pointing out that you said, well, it was something that at the time you saw it, there wasn't necessarily the, it wasn't necessarily like it was hitting you at a time where it should have had the impact it did. I think that's part of the magic of that sequence is we meet the two characters at like, what, five, six? And we actually see their journey through it. So although the place where the movie takes off from, sure, that wasn't reflective of the the place where you or I would have been in seeing it. There are moments and there are moments at the beginning of that sequence that could resonate much, much more. Like that's the magic of it is that's coming for everyone. Uh, there are moments in it that may not play that way for everyone, but that could just as easily be anyone's life. And that's kind of that's the beauty and the tragedy of it. And just the fact that it's in an animated film that I just rewatching that today. I mean, it's true for a lot of the it's true for Inside Out in a major way, too. Um, They are very clever at eventually finding the ins for kids where even a very young kid who so much of what goes on earlier might just be going over their head. There'll be something that will catch their eye eventually. But in something like up, like it's it's very, very bold, like the idea of yeah, let's make this movie where the protagonist is this really kind of curmudgeonly widowed old man. Like, that's that's pretty radical for a movie that is set with a big budget, expected to gross a lot of money, which it ultimately did. It grossed $735 million. And is mostly targeted at kids or parents bringing their kids to see a film. It's pretty incredible, and it's executed so well. Um, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't quite work later in the movie, but it, it has so much charm um, in Russell and in Doug. D- Doug is possibly the best, you know, most accurate portrayal of a dog on screen. <laughs> Aside from the fact that he has a color that makes him talk, the things he says, how he moves, how he behaves, how he acts, uh, I really... I can see a real dog there, which is not something that I understand how ridiculous this sounds is one of the more ridiculous things I've said in the run of our podcast. But again, in watching that today, I was like, you know, that's how dogs are. Yes. Doug is a very good boy. I will agree with all of that. Yeah. Um, The only thing that really doesn't work for me with up is just like all of the month stuff. Yeah, and like the uh, Christopher Plummer supervillain, I don't know, doesn't necessarily uh, uh, translate well. It is just kind of, uh, it doesn't take away from the the emotional stakes at hand and the fun you're having with uh, Doug, I, I guess, uh, Carl Russell, and then Ke- Kevin gets involved there at some point. Kevin's good. Kevin's Kevin's good for some visual gags. Yeah, get some good <laughs> Kevin visual gags. Uh, and Kevin's, you know, Kevin's just trying to to make a living out there. Um, Kevin, of course, played by Pete. Docker. Yes, I, I I did fail to mention that. Yeah, it's it, it is truly an accomplishment that this movie was was so successful, tying together all of the ridiculous ridiculousness of the second half of the film with the the emotional stakes established at the beginning. And uh, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where 
the statement you made about it is kind of like the spot on. It's where it's like when you're doing this kind of calculation in your brain, trying to come at this from an objective perspective, it's where you say, okay, something else might be the best movie, but this has a strong case for my favorite. And I think that's the best way to describe up. Uh, let's, let's cycle through some of the others before we, before we get to sell. And I think we will then kind of circle back. Like I, I was struck in rewatching how the end of up is very much just speaking to the same things that soul is speaking to. And certainly there's a lot of that there in inside out. You can also find some of it in monsters Inc. So there'll be some of that, but just to generally talk about doctors three previous films. So um, we've done, we're doing these out of sequence. Now, but we've done up. Let's go back to monsters Inc. Monsters Inc is as we've both alluded to, it's one that we both saw in theaters at a very young age, literally in the kind of, the target audience for it, I'm sure, at the time, in terms of who's going to go and see this in a theater, who are we making this for? And yet, it speaks to what Pixar has become so good at, I guess was so good at, even at that point, that I remember going to see it, uh, I went to see it with a couple of friends, and my mother was there, and their mother was there. And I remember the parents enjoying it very much, in a way where I can still enjoy it today because there's really good writing. There's really, really good performances. The voice work and the voice cast is pretty spectacular in Monsters, Inc. I think that might have been the best that Pixar got up to that point, and that is including Toy Story in that. I just think John Goodman and Billy Crystal are an amazing duo, and their voices really fit those characters so well, um, which is something that is in one way just kind of you know a ridiculous thing to say but it is also a, a true test of how well an actor is embodying an animated character when you when you hear it when you see it does it only feel right that that's the voice the character speaks and like, i think certainly in those cases um that was something that came true but also i just think a really great concept and a really fun world to drop us into this world that looks so much like our world in so many ways. I mean, they go to like the sushi restaurant. There's all of these great moments. Um, and then there's just the little kind of twists on it. And there's so many great jokes that, again, kids may not necessarily quite get about like, I don't know, the abominable snowman and the Loch Ness monster being banished and stuff like that. But it's it's just a really, really fun movie still. 20 years later uh yeah so i didn't rewatch it for this for this podcast but i've seen it quite a few times you know in theaters as a child and then again as a teen or an adult and i think uh what really stands out the second time is like you said how the jokes that an adult can enjoy and also for me it's like the the chemistry we'll call it and like the buddy cop good cop bad cop vibe between sully and mike as as the movie goes along it's almost like you're watching one of those types of films and i think their their energy and interplay with one another is just really funny to watch in a movie so whereas haha the the one-eyed monster is is irritable might have been the joke uh when i was a kid i think it, it it ages very well um you know, also, I don't think at the time I recognized that the movie was about uh, corporate manip- manipulation and an inner energy crisis. But, uh, you know, that that's still all rings true today. Yeah, it's just a really uh, uh, a movie that aged better than than I would have thought it would um, had I seen it 
for the first time as a as an old person and you know i'm I'm trying to uh reverse engineer my life here adam to to understand how i would have felt if i viewed this as a 29 year old in 2001 but that that's not gonna be able to happen uh monsters university i think was was a pretty good sequel i don't have as as much fondness for that probably just of the just not as good but I, i mean i liked it because i liked the characters yeah exactly um and evil Steve Buscemi. So you know what's what's not to like there. Um, it, I I would probably hot take place this fourth in the list of, of Doctor films, but that's just a personal preference. Um, I don't think that's a hot take. I I wouldn't personally agree with that, but I don't think it's a hot take. And uh, we do get a web series, or not a web series, but yeah, I get- sequel, an an actual Disney Plus sequel series next this year next year late 2021 is what i'm reading which is uh i don't i i don't know what to think about that but it just like it just highlights the the staying power that monsters inc has had and uh you know that's an accomplishment in and of itself yeah i'd I'd agree with that i mean i think it's such something interesting there which is noting um it being a film about giant mega exploitative corporations and energy crisis it's also like it's it is really dealing with kind of territory intellectually. I'm no child sat down at the theater. I was thinking about this at the time, but it's just kind of layered into the ideas that they did have a play, which I guess in a lot of ways are about understanding and decency and kind of care for things around you. Um, it's also about like one species looking at another species and not feeling threatened by it, respecting it, not exploiting it. Like there, there is a lot of kind of modern environmental concerns and social concerns that you could, you may be, you may be stretching, you may be working pretty hard to put them on it, but I don't think you have to work too hard. Like there is a lot in Monsters Inc. That is very fun and interesting as a backdrop, but also when you stop to think about it, there are like the sinister elements in the film are actually sinister. If you're to, uh, zoom out and apply them to a more real world context. And I think one of the through lines in a lot of Pixar movies and up springs to mind here and, and Monsters Inc. And even beyond the the cross species nature of Mar- of Monsters Inc., which is definitely true and can be applied in a lot of different symbolic ways. I think it's just about the value and connecting with other people and you know other monsters and little little children and just understanding their perspective and understanding that there's a value in that connection and that feeling less alone in the world is a really powerful thing and yeah i mean doctor's filmography is entirely take a walk in their shoes like that is that is his whole thing for all of the ideas all of the kind of high-minded ideas particularly that come to the come to the fore in inside out and in soul like the whether it is like the body switch and soul or just really the whole setup of inside out the various emotions and being inside someone's head um and then even in up when you've got like this generational divide where you have i don't know someone in their 80s and someone who's like eight um starting from very different points and then ultimately coming together like this is this is the key driving force behind Pete Doctor's stories is it's like, just, you know, take a walk in the other person's shoes. Just consider things from their perspective. Be open to other people's perspective. And 
I guess we'll all end up in a better place at the end of it, which is kind of saccharine and twee, but is also probably true. Like, probably true. There's real life ways where I wouldn't want to try to apply it, um, particularly over the last few years and in the current climate. But uh, there, I think as a sentiment, there's something there, if not necessarily the universal answer for, you know, uh, contentment and world peace. Uh. Yeah, I mean, Adam, a person's entire uh, self-worth doesn't need to be tied to another person, but, you know, when we... Are... Is what we're, what we're arriving at here is that Pete Doctor's movies are about bipartisanship? Is that, is that what we're concluding? Uh, I, would, I really hope not, because I full, full-heartedly do not believe in bipartisanship. Um, <laughs> but when... What his movies say, or at least what I'm going to apply to them generally right here, is when everyone's vac- vaccinated, sometimes a nice warm hug from another person can make you feel better. <laughs> sure, that's that's one we can all easily uh, buy in on. Um, inside Out, then. Adam. So this is what I got to, to rewatch, uh, not during the work day, because I don't do that. Um, but... In during this watch, I was I was struck by how much this movie, or how when I finally watched this movie, it it was something that I don't know if I would have been as emotionally equipped to understand when I was the age of the character in the film, but when I saw it at twenty two, twenty three, whatever I was, it, you know, it it all made more sense and it helped me understand my own internal brain a little bit deeper. But one thing it really helped me understand today, Adam, is my relation to sports fandom and the why I am the way that I am. Because one, one of the things I always tell you when I'm blowing you up about something that's happened in the world of my sports fandom is that without the sadness and the anger that comes from results not going your way, the joy of victory would just not have the same highs that it brings you to Adam. If I had not, um, I'm trying to think of a team that wins that I support because none of the teams I support actually win. Liverpool is the answer. Come on, yeah, let's not be. I didn't want to be an asshole. Uh, had I not basically cursed Liverpool when I became a fan of them in you know, the early 2000s, I wouldn't have. It wouldn't have felt as good to watch them, you know, win a Champions League in Madrid and then. Um, win the league the next year despite it being a COVID season uh and i think that's one of the things that that this movie tries to bring to light is that all of our emotions and the the way that we process the world each have some value in making us who we are and now it's important that we work to make sure that our emotions are in the right degree for each one. Cause we don't want to, you know, fall into a situation where uh, we're not taking care of our mental health, but uh, they all have value. And I, I thought that, that as I was watching this again for probably the second or third time, I, I, I think it was something that still was very meaningful for me and to other people. And then this is just a, a really enjoyable, entertaining movie. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Amy Poehler anytime she does anything. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed it again, and the, I think it's his his most fully formed, well-rounded movie. Uh, this is maybe the first Pixar movie that when I saw it, I don't think I knew much of anything about it. I don't. I can't remember if I'd seen trailers. 
it it was like I wasn't anticipating it. And that's even maybe a point that I've never got to since may never get to again, in part because Inside Out came out and caught me on the end of a cycle like that. So I remember going into this just, I guess, kind of more blind and open than I would often be to films that I see. It's not a situation I find myself in very often and certainly wasn't the case um, by the time it came out, which was like, what, 2015? Um, I, I at that point I was kind of beyond um going into movies relatively blind. But I did go into this one like that, and it blew me away, just completely blew me away. I think it, like it, it deals with the ideas, with the concepts of emotion, in a way that is both incredibly abstract and clever for the purposes of an animated movie but also very grounded and real that will make the adults watching kind of take a closer look at themselves and kind of, you know, reflect on what exactly, what exactly is going on inside me? Um, and how does that, you know, spill out for good and for bad? But I, I also think, I, I don't know how they could have made this in a way where it was actually any more engaging and interesting and kind of educational for kids. It really, this is the one to me that I think struck the best balance of the more high-minded Pixar movies of letting kids also be in on what it's about. Like beyond Bing Bong and beyond the, I guess the various ticks and the ups and downs of the different characters. I don't think it's complicated even for young children, a lot of what's happening here. Um, because when the terms are boiled down to sadness and anger and joy and fear and disgust, like they are very simple emotions. And the film does a good job of letting each of those mo- those emotions have its kind of moment to shine. I think that's something that's still even in rewatching. I, I think the accessibility of it for, you know, just how it's kind of delving into it, human psychology it's not really just about a child although doing it at this particular point is is obviously when any person is maybe more vulnerable or isn't quite as aware or clued into what exactly is going on in their head why they feel this way how they feel this way i think for that it's something that is just an unbelievable achievement and yet as you put out on top of that like it just manages to be incredibly entertaining it looks great. The, the cast all around is just brilliant and the performances are great. Uh, Amy Poehler is perfectly cast as Joy. I can't imagine too many other actors that could have played that role quite as well. Um, real, you know, just bring the Parks and Rec energy here, but that works. You know, Leslie Nope works for a character um, who's basically responsible for Joy. Um and beyond that, I mean, Richard Kind, um, Lewis Black, Bill Hader, Mindy Kaling, Phyllis Smith is great as Sadness. Uh, like a really interesting group of character actors for the most part, really, I guess all throughout actually, um, who are all perfectly cast and really just bring a great balance to the movie. It's It's a very, very special film. It's not just maybe Doctor's best, but it's it's one of Pixar's very best too. Um, I think it it works so well as a companion piece to Soul, which we'll get into a little bit later. I think 
is one thing that might have been obvious after seeing Soul, but was even more obvious after watching this because I think subtly, maybe not so subtly, is this this movie is about growing up, obviously, but I think it's just about aging and change in general. Um, the notion of a memory that was that was once a happy memory turning into something that's tinged by by sadness because it's something that's so far removed from where you are now in your life it is something that that stood out and that's that's something that 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 doesn't change as as we get older we can't go back in time and um wrapping that up into uh the the story i think was another like element of uh emotional resonance that, that that stuck with me beyond even just the bing bong of it all. Okay, let's get into Soul. What was your I guess, if you want to put your first impression, your what was, when you finished watching Soul what, did, what was the thing that most stood out to you? What did you feel? What were you left thinking about? I think I felt like I was targeted and punched directly in the <laughs> face. I think I may have even said that to you um you know you weren't alone in feeling like that i also felt that it it's it was i think i knew the the general plot lines of of what soul was going to be um i probably knew more about soul than i was like you with inside out where i had very little knowledge of what i was walking into just that had gotten rave reviews with soul it's i i knew a little bit what to expect but it was somehow i i guess darker than, than i was anticipating oh yeah um it so it it really is a gut punch and i think uh that was really just my initial uh takeaway and i was like this is a kids movie like <laughs> like what do we what do we have even going on but the bigger point and i i loved it first of all i'll say i thought it was great i've seen some some criticisms of it that you know any anytime someone criticizes something it's it's valid to their own experience viewing it but i thought it was was very effective and just a very well-made pixar movie like all of pete doctor's movies um but to the point i made earlier is like i feel like i have now like closed the loop that started with monsters inc age nine to age 29 and i feel like soul caught me right at a perfect time in my life to where the themes and the storyline is most effective on me. I mean, I'm at a, at a point in my life where I'm not old, but I'm not young. I'm far enough removed from, you know, being out into the real world that I should feel like I know who I am and I know what like my life's purpose is. I know what what career or what sort of <laughs> who i'm going to be that's gonna make me feel fulfilled and happy with where i'm going in life and i think that's uh kind of how joe feels it's like he's way in this film the 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 main character joe gardner who's a jazz pianist played by jamie fox he feels like if he just gets that one big break and is able to play in like a, a real legitimate um jazz band like that that's going to be the crystallizing moment that's going to make his entire life feel like it made sense and feel like that he's serving out his purpose and doing what he's supposed to do. So a movie about that during a pandemic, during a time in my life where I just feel very privileged to be in a situation where I'm healthy and able to pay my bills and, and, and that sort of thing, you know, uh, I have a wife and dog that I, I really like spending time with even when quarantined, but it's just like, there are some aspects of 
life at this age specifically and at a time where the world has stopped where it's like you feel a little bit stuck in the mud and you're waiting for that thing in your career whether it's like i make a big sale that really you know puts me on the right path at a company i'm at or if it's like an opportunity opens up in a career field that i'm very passionate about it's like i'm waiting for that one thing that's gonna crystallize and click everything into place and then that tells this story but also <laughs> i don't want to spoil anything but i i guess it's like spoiler spoiler alert yeah spoiler alert but like we 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 get to a point where sometimes that thing doesn't happen and the thing that we thought is going to be so great and the thing that we thought is going to make everything make sense doesn't because i mean some of us we just pass through life we have all these goals and dreams and ambitions but not everything works exactly how we want it to or we think it should not every puzzle piece fits into the places and paints a pretty picture sometimes we kind of have to force things together and make the best of it and i think yeah it it was obviously very impactful on me for for all of these reasons all of the timing and i thought it's just a really well-told story and also again like inside out we've got (laughs) tina fey who is uh like uh (laughs) amy poehler's like uh, they'll always be linked together because of SNL. So it's like a, a similar thing there, except of a more sardonic uh, uh, kind of non-human entity takes us on an entertaining journey. And there's some good, you know, quips and repartee between her and Joe, but really just like it's, I, I, get, I have the same feelings that I come out of watching inside out with just in a very different way. Um, but that made it no less effective. It's, 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 it's hard to process, Adam. It was a, it was a gut punch. I think this is not a movie for kids. I don't know what kids get out of this. I don't really see much of anything. Um, it it doesn't have, you know, Doug, and the group of you know, the of pack dogs with the funny voices. Uh, it doesn't have a Bing Bong really. I mean, I guess the talking cat is supposed to be it. But the dynamics of play and how it gets there and how long it takes to get there too, I really i I just don't know if this is a movie for kids and maybe Pixar are just fine with that now because they can be because they have a whole generation of kids who've grown up and now are adults like us who are going to watch their stuff and that undoubtedly makes a massive difference. Um, but you know kids introduced to this blind just I, what they're getting out of it what they get out of the early parts of the movie spoiler alert again joe dies 10 minutes into the movie <laughs> it's like it, that caught me off guard i can't imagine being a child where you're led to believe oh the movie starts and this is the guy we're following this is the character this is the good guy and then oh no he's just you know follow them a manhole and is dead and it doesn't even like i mean it sure it it goes somewhat light on the language but it it's very clear i think what has happened to him where he is going and then his fight against that even in its own right is is complicated i think emotionally in terms of what it means but uh, yeah i do i think that's one of the first things is like i really enjoyed this this is a lot to say to me um i don't know if it has anything though to really work with kids and even like there's lots of lots of elements of it that 
for example, Pixar's animation has now evolved to a point that what you can do with computer-generated animation is, you know, off the charts. Never has one of their films looked as real as this looks. It helps that a lot of it is in kind of cityscape, but all of the city stuff. Like, it looks so real. They've just completely mastered how to make backgrounds, landscapes, objects look real. Um, There is still that level of, you know, oh, that's an animated character to people's faces and how they look. But otherwise, I mean, the world looks increasingly real. And that's great. I don't think that takes away from it um, as a movie. But again, I don't know if that necessarily does a whole lot to to bring in kids to it. Um, But then, yeah, I think, look, you hit on a lot of the key ideas and the stuff it's talking to. And that's luckily for kids um just not the kind of stuff that they have to worry about or contend with is you know the idea of personal professional satisfaction and thinking about i think even more interesting one of the things this movie deals with it's not just you know you may not get what you want which is a valuable lesson, also not necessarily one though that I think should be should be taught to kids in maybe the most direct way, because I don't think young kids need to they need to know they can't always get what they want, but I, I think it's important that they also aspire to do things that they want. Which is, is maybe a better way of putting it in terms of what this film is. I think more than the the movie being about, well, you may not get there. Joe does kind of get there, albeit briefly. And in getting there, he doesn't get the satisfaction he thinks out of it. And that's the, you know, be careful what you wish for. If you spend your whole life chasing this thing and you get it, well, then what next? Which is really deep and dark and existential. Like, it's, it is something that is fascinating to just think about being presented in a movie like this, knowing what the the Pixar audience usually is and what it would seem at least their movies are aimed at. And instead it's, it's something much, much deeper than that. I was also like, I mentioned the animation looking more real. There's then the other side of that, which is all of the soul elements looking kind of more abstract than anything has ever looked in a, in a Pixar movie looking kind of like Don Hertzfeld's animation, like something like A World of Tomorrow. And that is, that is interesting. Um, I guess that speaks to Doctor, and he's someone who is very open to the work of other great animators and other, uh, other great studios too, and he kind of speaks openly about his love for that. But that was kind of a departure too. But all of that, from the moment, which great, like great as a movie for me, I loved it. It's like you get what's almost like a cold open and then we're 10, 15 minutes in when we're getting the actual, you know, the title card for the movie and you actually have 2D uh, rushing black and white animation as Joe falls and like gets to where he's going. All of that is like great. I'm in. But it, it is a real departure from what they, they have been known for and are doing. And that is interesting given doctor directed it and the role that he assumed in the in the making of this film i think when he probably first started production um he was whatever i think he was some sort of vice president of pixar 
where by the time it finished, he was chief creative officer and he was responsible for overseeing the entire slate. Like that's a big change. And I, I feel like some of that is possibly, a you know, there and apparent in the look of the movie and how it varies from other Pixar films too. I have to say, I wasn't entirely crazy about all of the voice cast. I don't know if Tina Fey works. I don't. It. It. I don't know. Like, it, I'm not saying she was bad for this part, but could it have been something different? Could it have been better? Possibly. Um, the Gray Norton character. That was another. Like, again, that's what I'm thinking. Like, is this character or is this movie like are kids supposed to get this? He's like a shaman or he's hanging out with shamans and it's like <laughs> he's like some sort of astral traveler that's uh that's pretty unusual for a pixar movie and for a movie that a lot of children are going to see yeah i i always like to theorize that he had a near-death experience while on mushrooms and that's what gave him the ability to uh to hop between worlds when he was uh twirling his sign but you know that's some backstory that i only I added to the table. As an adult, I was very amused by his character. Um, sure. The Tina Fey thing is, is interesting because I think, for me, I was most off-put by it when she is in Joe's body. Um, I don't... I That was, I guess, supposed to be played for laughs, obviously, as he ends up, at one point in the film, hit back on Earth, his soul ends up in the body of a therapy cat, which was funny, uh, but her soul ends up in his body. Uh, you know, th- that whole part, I get they had to do it to get to the point where we end up with the 22 character, which is the name of the soul. Uh, but that was probably part of the movie that I think dragged the most for me and didn't necessarily work. So, um, Richard Iowati, Adam again comes up on this podcast he's one of the soul counselors which i was uh uh which was always nice to learn um we're reaching like iowati as kind of the emblem of our podcast i'd i'd say that's fair it's it's all gotta culminate with him directing paddington 3 right is that is that the end point oh i i thought you were gonna say captured in celluloid the movie or or that i mean he I can think of no one better to tell the story of our lives. The question is, who's playing us? I'd much, I'd much prefer that he directs Paddington Tree. Well, that would be, I think, better for everyone. All right, Paul Mescal's Adam. Um, oh gosh, does he know? <laughs> um, he'll be on board with it. Um, who's gonna play me? Um. I don't know, Adam. I'm going to have to workshop my I'm, own. I'm trying to think of... Are there many... Do many actors come from North Carolina? I'm sure they do. But is is this a thing that they hide their accents when they get on the screen? I'm sure they do. There is... I think there's a performing arts high school in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So I think we get a lot of people that that go there and then go off to the world, whether that's Hollywood or Broadway or, or whatever it may be. But I, I would say they probably do. It's, it's like when you're becoming a sports broadcaster, Adam, uh, which was originally my dream. And then I realized I had a high voice and I had a Southern accent. So that didn't necessarily work <laughs> for, uh, 
for that. I'm just imagining Saul now with you as the lead character. Oh yeah, that that would definitely <laughs> not have gone over well. Um, uh, uh, maybe uh, maybe Michael Sarah can play me. I I had that thought too. I'm not quite sure why. He might be too tall. I don't know. This is the movies. You can be taller in the movies if you want. That's true. Mate, Jill and Hall. What's Jill and Hall doing? Nevertheless. Wow. Uh, now we're really swinging for the fences. Nevertheless. Um, Soul. I mean, to be clear, just if it's not for the right, I really liked it. I think I think it's really really good. It was one of the better films generally last year. Really funny and really smart. Um, the Knicks joke being my personal favorite, and just beautifully animated that joke too the Knicks, the Knicks looked great in the Pixar universe um, not in terms of their play but in terms of the aesthetics those jerseys really are timeless I know you you even mentioned me at the time there were a few jokes and kind of stuff like that that landed with you the Abe Lincoln one uh, the, I think was the one you highlighted was the it? Abe Lincoln one uh, slayed me there were there were a lot of call- $20 bill yep Andrew Jackson or Jackson or whatever he just exclaims yeah. uh for good reason, uh, the the Andrew Jackson portrait has been removed from the uh, Oval Office, so that that's good news for everyone involved. Anyway, um, there was another the, the recurring bit with the uh, the soul accountants or whatever they're called, just like the soul counselors, whoever they are, all named Jerry, just kind of like pushing off the accountant and sending the accountant back. His name was Terry. Yeah, sending sending Terry. Uh, and and keeping Terry at bay and trying to distract Terry, I love that bit. The disrespect that they had for Terry, I was I was a big fan of. Really like the the soul counselors in general. Um, Iowati was the only name that I recognized out of the voice actors there, but there were some good bits there, um, as well as the flashback to to Abe Lincoln and the other people that Twenty Two had tormented, um, as they were mentoring her. I mean. And kind of getting ready to to wrap this up, one of the things that I that I wanted to reflect on. So, Pete Doctor gave an interview, extensive interview, a full kind of feature and profile of him in the Hollywood Reporter right around the time that Soul came out, maybe a little, just a little bit after. And in it, it was brought to him about you know directing. I'm assuming was asked, well, what are you gonna make next? Let me read, I'll read these two paragraphs from the Hollywood Reporter piece, and we can we can talk a little bit about what we think of what we think it will mean for Doctor and for Pixar. Um, so I quote, Though Lasseter sometimes directed films while running the studio, Doctor does not yet have plans to direct again. Quote, the CCO job is not making films, he says. It's guiding other people. I was initially worried that it would be like a tax taking me away from what I really loved, but it's been surprisingly rewarding. Doctor, once one of the youngest animators at the studio, now draws from his 30 years of animation experience to advise younger filmmakers. Quote, I can see their eyes light up and them recognize the truth of what I'm saying, and it helps them get somewhere, and that's been surprisingly fulfilling to me, he says. Whether that'll be enough to sustain him forever, to soothe those inevitable tugs of existential ennui he so frequently explores on screen, he can't yet say. Quote, whether it will be enough in the long run or if I'm going to be jonesing to get back to directing, I don't know. We'll have to see. That does open up the possibility that this is the last Pete Doctor directed film that we'll see. I don't know how I feel on this. I'm curious to what your thoughts are. Do you think maybe we'll all kind of cumulatively win? People who like Pixar movies are interested 
by him being in the role he is now in as the company's chief creative officer, where he is having a say, he's having a very hands-on influence in everything that's coming out of Pixar, in all of the projects that are getting green lit, that are coming to the fore to begin with. Or is there going to be an absence for there potentially not being a director kind of in the Pixar school who's making the kind of films he's making? I guess the other thing that's worth trying out there is, I, I don't know, has how much more of this kind of, like there's already an element of Inside Out and Soul where people are talking about the overlap between the kind of ideas at play and the setup. Maybe that kind of film he has now explored as he can, but what do you think the kind of the net gain or the net loss could potentially be if he doesn't direct again, if he is just in more of a, I guess, a consulting role where he oversees the whole Pixar slate? I have complicated feelings on this. I think as as a quartet and really more of a trio up inside out. Soul, I I do feel like those can kind of feel like a closed loop. So if Soul is the last of these types of films or films in general that he directs, I feel like actually that that's a a pretty a pretty reasonable landing spot and one that makes sense for me. That being said, um. I feel like there are strengths and weaknesses to to this sort of overarching role where he's got his hand in everything but isn't completely focused on one thing necessarily. I think that incrementally the things that he's advising or working on or consulting on could be better than they would have been had he not had any involvement. That being said, Adam... <laughs> we've reached a point of uh content with all the streaming services where there is an oversaturation to a point especially for someone like me that's incredibly lazy and just late on everything so that's more of a me problem but it, it for me in the way that i <laughs> i engage with content it's like i'd almost rather have five years six years down the, the line whatever the typical type of uh it is, I guess, typically a, a six-year cycle in terms of film-to-film film in, in a lot of cases um, for Pixar directors. I, I would, yeah, they take a long time to make, I, for obvious reasons. I would almost rather have that, that full Doctor feature um, that reaches a certain high in a single film rather than him collectively working on a lot of different things and advising younger directors and and seeing what that ends up with that being said he's a guy that's got a lot of experience in this industry and and with this company um and i think him mentoring younger directors is obviously a good thing younger directors getting opportunities to make feature-length films at pixar that would normally be directed by a brad bird or pete doctor or somebody like that is ultimately a good thing and the development of more directors is a good thing I just have complicated feelings about what all of this means in general, but uh, obviously he he's had a lot of success and he's created a lot of things that I'm really drawn to. So it, it's almost like I feel like maybe I need to trust the process here and just see what happens. Yeah, look, I mean, the best case version of it is that we get new voices who are just as interesting, have new things to say. And he can help to instill some of the qualities that he's brought to his own movies over that time. And we get a a real best of both worlds. And I think that's probably likely to be the case. Um, I would like him to direct again. 
I think there's something about those four movies we've talked about. They jump off the page to me if we're to look at a list of Pixar movies. They all have a certain energy. And they're all films that if I just cut on TV or if I wanted to switch off and put something fun on, that I could probably put any of them on at any point. That's something that I hope he can help others to bring, that there's even more of that. But I wouldn't be opposed to seeing some more from him. Now, it is the very early days of him being in that role. Maybe as time goes on, he will, to put it in his words, find himself jonesing to get back to directing. Um, I don't know, though. We'll see. I think as a whole, Pixar is in good hands. Given the incredible mess that Lasseter's departure was... And really just the kind of the lasting damage it could have done to Pixar in terms of its abilities to to learn, to rebuild itself, to adjust and be something better. I mean, continue with everything that people have loved, but also to be something better in terms of a place that is one of the most uh, powerful kind of studios in Hollywood. And one of those powerful arms within certainly the most powerful company in Hollywood being Disney. I, I don't think there was a better person to take that forward than Pete Doctor, based on the vision that he seems to have and how people have always seemed to talk about him. So I think that can only be good. Whether we ultimately just miss his movies, that's that's a different question. But the fact that, I mean, throughout its history, Lasser did have the Toy Story movies, and then you did have the likes of Andrew Stanton, Brad Bird, that's all encouraging. It's not like they've been a one-man show to begin with. In fact, it's been quite the opposite. They've had a number of directors who've managed to be a core part of everything they do, but also come to the fore with their own films, kind of, as you said, once every five, six years, and really do a great job. They are probably at a point where they are in need of finding the next wave of people who can make multiple movies for Pixar. So I think there is an essential kind of passing of the guard that has to happen. And... I think he's the, he's the right guy to to kind of oversee that. So hopefully it all works out. Uh, Soul, though, very, very good. If you're a parent listening and you're like, oh, I haven't watched it yet. Maybe the kids will like it. Maybe they will. Like, it's there's nothing there that's necessarily offensive or, like, it's dark without maybe being obviously dark at all times. Like, you could try it. But I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of parents and children watching it was the parents who enjoyed it more. Maybe it's better if you've got like a middle schooler that just didn't make the basketball team or something. That might be who you want to watch this movie with. What? So you can apply the ideas immediately? Yeah, apply it and apply them immediately. Say, you know, sometimes things don't work out. Also, if you'd made the basketball team, would it really have been that great? It would have been fine. <laughs> That that's that's uh yeah, I don't know. That's valuable life advice at any point. I guess so. Have you got anything else, Andrew? Uh one last thing. Uh Trent Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, yes. the the, yes. the score. I mean this and Mank in the same calendar year, I mean, the, these guys just continue to uh absolutely kill it. And it's completely different than than Mank and but the, both serve the films that they're in particularly well and are, are, are great so I just wanted to call that out before we transition 
Yes, very, very good call to do that. The The music that plays when Terry is on screen is incredible. When Terry the accountant is like doing his counting, it has the most ominous and dark music that I've ever heard in a Pixar movie. It sounds like something that's like a an outtake from the social network. Just truly, truly great work from two of the very, very best composers working. So yes, I forgot that and I'm glad that you didn't. Okay, I think that does it for Soul. That does it for our Pete Doctor talk. It was a lot of fun. We'll be back next week. We hadn't agreed in advance, but I think I'll just use this to force something on you. Is that the best way to do this? That's that's generally the best way <laughs> to force anything on me. So <laughs> I've already talked to you about this. This is something that's a little bit different, but it, it had quite an effect on me, and it might be interesting to talk about as something that's very very different to almost anything we've ever talked about before and it is in and of itself a documentary stage show i don't know what we want to call it directed by frank oz starring i guess derek delgadio at, at the front of it i mean maybe and i you know maybe probably isn't the right word almost certainly the majority of people listening don't know too much if anything about this I think that's the worst thing. Fire it up, though. Check it out. Come back next week and we'll talk about it. It's uh, it's quite something. I found it really, really interesting, really, really affecting in a, in a very deep way. Maybe that is just, again, something personal. Maybe that's just kind of getting at some of the ideas that are in it. I'm particularly curious to see Andrew's reaction, to hear Andrew's reaction. So I'm going to now make him have that reaction in front of a microphone. Perfect. I look forward to it. Uh, I know only what you've told me, which is very little, and I, I'm, I'm gonna go in with that. Actually, I'm gonna do no additional research going into viewing it, and then you'll get my unfiltered thoughts in the DMs and also on this podcast. Great. So that's what we'll do next. Make sure to watch in and of itself if you want to be ahead of the game and ready to listen to all we have to talk about with it. Until then. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us somewhere wherever you get your podcasts we're pretty much everywhere you can also follow us on twitter at captured on cell and if you really like what we do make sure to go and leave reviews leave us five star ratings reviews on the podcast platform of choice until next time thanks again to all of you for listening thank you andrew thank you adam <laughs>